Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We'll be in verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And so I have a question for you to consider. How do you respond when the storms of life come? When disaster or hardship strikes, where do you turn? What do you do? You see, we live in a fallen world, and so it's not a matter of if the storm comes, but when it comes. And storms can be a number of things. It could be a health diagnosis, a disease, COVID-19, the loss of a loved one, a wayward child, a married couple's infertility, a difficult breakup, another act of injustice, a sudden loss of job or continued unemployment, financial hardship. And these are just to name a few. If one, of the, if one of these things were to happen, how would you respond? Would you be anxious, terrified, frantic? Would you give in to despair? Would you search for some type of escape? Would you try to control the situation? Who would you turn to? What would you hope in? Would it be in God? or something else? Would you trust Jesus? You see, in our passage this morning, we see that we can trust Jesus in the storm because of who he is and his sovereign authority. And so Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, please stand for the reading of God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along, since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You may be seated. So our big idea for this passage is this, that Jesus' authority over nature testifies that he is God and worthy of our trust. I'll say it again. Jesus' authority over nature testifies that he is God and worthy of our trust. And so I have two points from this passage. The first point is Jesus is sovereign over nature. And the second point, Jesus is worthy of our trust. So the first point, Jesus is sovereign over nature. 
Secondly, Jesus is worthy of our trust. First point, Jesus is sovereign over nature. Look at verses 35 and 36. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And so the same day that Jesus taught the large crowd in parables is this day, this same time. And so what he does is he suggested to the disciples that they should cross over. They should cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Now, this other side, it is Gentile territory, the region of Gerasenes. Now, why would they travel to this region? We don't know. It could be for the purpose of spreading the gospel, as we see in chapter 1, verse 38, where he says why he wants to go to other cities, that the gospel may be proclaimed. But guys, did you notice the time of day? It says that when evening had come, And so he tells them that they're about to go to the other side, and the time is evening. This will be an overnight journey. And what we see is that the disciples obeyed, and they got into the boat. And as they crossed, the voyage may have started smooth as expected and hoped for. But it didn't remain that way. You see, things took a turn for the worse. Look at verse 37. It says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that, yeah, so that the boat was already being swamped. And so all of a sudden, a fierce and terrifyingly great windstorm came about. And the disciples and Jesus were caught right in the middle of it. The boat is being rocked and water begins filling it. Imagine at night, pitch black, in the middle of a sea, super strong winds, and water waves crashing the boat to where water is being poured in. You see, they are in serious trouble, and they were terrified for their lives. Did you guys notice that this wasn't just any old windstorm? The passage says, a great windstorm. You see, this seems to have been a massive storm with heavy wind. And so their lives were threatened. The disciples were possibly panicking, may have been scrambling, fearful that they're about to die, and so trying to do whatever they can to prevent that from happening. Look at verse 38. It says, He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And so the storm is surging, the disciples may be scrambling, and Jesus is snoozing. He is knocked out. He's getting that good sleep. You know, that good sleep that you get when you're cozy in your bed and it's storming outside. He's catching Z's. But the thing is, he's not catching Z's just during the storm. He's catching these Z's in the storm. And the disciples, they are terrified for their very own lives. So much so, that look what they did. It says, so they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? You see, they were fearful for their lives and frustrated with Jesus at the same time. You see, their question was more of a rebuke. They questioned Jesus' care 
and concern for them because he was asleep during the storm. They're like, Jesus, we are about to die and you're sleeping. Don't you care about our lives, whether we live or die? You see, they question Jesus' care for their lives. As we read this, how many of us do the very same thing when we're in some type of storm? Now, we might not ever be caught in a great windstorm on the sea, but we will be caught in different trials in our lives, whatever those storms may be. How often, when we're in them, do we question Jesus' love and care for us in the storm? Some of us question and doubt Jesus' care because we're in the storm. We subconsciously believe that because Jesus cares for us, he wouldn't take us through the storm. You see, we equate Jesus' care to mean our comfort. We think that if things are going well, then Jesus cares for us. But if there's a storm, Jesus doesn't care. Now, we may not verbally say it, but we believe that in these moments, if we're thinking that way, we believe that God's care to be conditioned upon our comfort. Now, some of us may not question Jesus' care. Some of us may question his control. We may believe that if Jesus was really in control, then this wouldn't be happening to us. My health wouldn't be declining, or I would be married, or I would have a job. You see, we'd assume that he must not be in control, and this must be too difficult for him. Some of us may not question his care or his control, but his goodness. It's as if Jesus, if Jesus was good to me, then you fill in the blank. This wouldn't be happening to me. Or I would, be, I would have something different. I would be in a different season. We may even believe that he may be good to everyone else. But he's not being good to me. Some of us may very well question his love. Because it seems that he is inactive while we are in the storm. We assume that he must be indifferent towards us in the trials that we're in because of his perceived inaction in fixing it. Just as he was asleep on the boat, we think he may be asleep to the trials in our lives because the storm hasn't ended. Or maybe I'm just the only one who has thought that. I can't speak for you guys, but I can speak for myself. You see, this week, this passage has been convicting me to where I've thought many of these thoughts before. Because years ago, I was told by my doctor that I'm a pre-diabetic, and since then, my eyes have been bothering me, and I've grown more and more anxious about my health, to the point of seeing different doctors, trying to get different results, trying to find out what is going on with me. Why are my eyes bothering me? And so I begin to question Jesus' care, his love, his concern, his goodness, because I feel that my health is declining. And I've assumed that his inaction or his perceived inaction, I've assumed that he's been inactive because he doesn't care. Now, beloved, if you're there, let's continue to read the passage because the thing is, though the storm came, 
and Jesus was asleep, we know that it doesn't mean that he didn't care for his disciples. We know that it doesn't mean that he was not in control. We know that it doesn't mean that he is not good or not loving. You see, in fact, the thing is that though Jesus was asleep on the boat, he was actively at work. You see, he is the Son of God. He is one person with two natures, truly God and truly man. And he was at work while he was asleep. Now, some may wonder, what was he doing? Well, let me tell you what he was doing because the scriptures testify to these things. You see, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that the Son sustains all things by his powerful word. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says that he is before all things and by him all things hold together. You see, that wasn't just while he was in glory, but it was also while he dwelt on the earth. You see, Jesus, he was snoozing and sustaining all things at the very same time. You see, he was asleep, but he was in full control. You see, things may have been crazy. They may have seemed chaotic, but they were not out of control. They weren't out of his control. You see, even, in G even asleep, he still maintained complete control. You see, he was actively at work. And not only was he active then, but he is also active even now. You see, he is currently seated at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. Hebrews says that he lives to make intercession, so we cannot conclude that he's ever asleep. You see, things may not be going how we imagine or hope for, but he is actively at work for our good while we are in the storm. You see, the disciples asked, they said, don't you care? Well, the thing is that Jesus does care. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says that cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So what that means, if you put these two verses together, is that Jesus has always cared for his people from eternity past. And Jesus cares for his people in the present. And Jesus will care for his people, people throughout eternity. You see, his care isn't situational. It's not temporal. It's permanent. And now let's look how Jesus responded. Look at verse 39. It says that he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Be still, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Notice that Jesus didn't rebuke them for the way that they questioned his care. He didn't rebuke them for their irreverent approach. You see, he's the Son of God, and he had every right to first rebuke the disciples. But rather, he got up and intervened on their behalf. It said, what did he do? It says that he rebuked the wind. You see, Jesus rebuked the wind as if it was an enemy opposing and threatening him and his disciples. It says that to the sea, he said, silence and be still. You see, Jesus commanded silence. He spoke to the sea as if it was a demonic force. Now, some may wonder, why do I say that? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus has only commanded demons to be silent. And here... 
he commands the sea to be silent. You see, Jesus said, silence, be still. In the Greek, that verb, be still, it's in the perfect passive imperative tense, which means that it is a command to be still and stay still. It's like in a grocery store. When a child is misbehaving and a parent would command that child to be still, that child would know that they are to not only just stop moving, but they are to remain still. And so as Jesus commanded the sea, it says, be still and stay still. And you guys, did you see the way he intervened? Don't miss it. He spoke to the wind and the sea. His intervention was speaking. Speaking. Have y'all ever thought about that? Speaking. Now, what would have happened if the disciples spoke to the wind and the sea? Have you ever tried to speak to a storm? If so, what happened? Tell me. Absolutely nothing. Now, what happens when Jesus speaks to the sea? It says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You see, by speaking to the storm, Jesus did for them what they were incapable of doing for themselves. You see, the disciples had no power over the windstorm, but the wind and the sea were no match for Jesus. You see, he spoke a few words and the storm stopped and there was a great calm. His authoritative word can turn a great windstorm into a great calm. Now imagine, the winds were howling, the boat was rocking, the waters were flooding in, and at the sound of Jesus' command, it all stopped immediately. You see, the sea went from a great wave pool to a lazy river. You see, the great windstorm obeyed Jesus. Why? It was because Jesus is the Son of God. You see, he is the creator of the wind and the sea. He who created the wind and the sea with a few words is the same one who calmed the chaos with a few words. He said, silence, be still. The one who created them while in heaven calmed them while on earth. 19th century Anglican bishop J.C. Ryle would say this. He says, those words were the words of him who first created all things. The elements knew the voice of their master, and like obedient servants, were quiet at once. You see, nature submitted to the command of Jesus. He possesses sovereign authority over nature. You see, here again, we see that Jesus does what only God can do. You see, in the Old Testament, it talked about God's authority to calm the raging sea. Psalm chapter 65 verse 7 says this, that you silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. Psalm chapter 89 verse 9 says, you rule the, wave, the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Psalm chapter 104 verse 7 says, at your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. You see, only God has authority to calm the raging sea. And here we see Jesus display this sovereign authority to calm the surging windstorm. 
You see, here again, we see that Jesus does what only God can do. In Mark chapter 2, verses 7 to 10, we see that the scribes would say that only God has the authority to forgive sins. Well, what we see in that same passage is that Jesus demonstrated his sovereign authority to forgive sins. The Old Testament testifies that only God can steal the raging sea. Well, in this passage, we see that Jesus demonstrated his sovereign authority to calm the storm. Well, preacher, what are you trying to say? Can you spell it out for me? Well, I'm saying that Jesus does what only God can do because Jesus is God. And because he is God, he has power over the wind and the waves. He has the power to save his disciples from the storm. And not only does he have the power to defeat the storm, but he also has power to defeat Satan, sin, and death. He has the power to save sinners, which he did when he died on the cross and resurrected from the grave. You see, Jesus is God. His sovereign authority over nature, it testifies that he is God. And in light of this, let me talk to the children and the teens here. As you guys may know, storms are real and can be very scary. And one of the things that we learn from this passage is that Jesus has the power to stop storms. We also learn that we can go to him when we're afraid and that we can trust him. And we see that he loves and cares for us. Now, as scary as storms may be, there's something even scarier that we need Jesus to save us from. And that's our sin and God's punishment for our sin. You see, we have disobeyed God. Just like you, when you've disobeyed your parents by doing something they tell you not to do. Well, We've disobeyed God even more than that. And this means that we are in big trouble. You see, our greatest need is not for Jesus to stop a storm, but for him to forgive us and save us. And that's what he came to do. He died on the cross for our sin, and he resurrected from the grave. And if you trust in Jesus, he will forgive you, and he will save you. Children, I would encourage you to talk to your parents and ask them more about this Jesus and his power to save sinners because he can save you just as he has saved all of us by his grace. And children, if you have trusted in Jesus, I would encourage you to keep trusting Jesus even during the storms of this life. Keep trusting him, for he is faithful. And so in this section, these few verses, there are a few things that we learn. One, following and obeying Jesus doesn't exempt us from storms. You see, the belief that following Jesus will keep us from storms and suffering, that is prosperity theology. It's unbiblical. In fact, what we see in this passage 
is that the disciples encountered the storm because they obeyed Jesus. Look at verse 35 and 36 again. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he told them, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. You see, they encountered the storm because they obeyed Jesus. And it's the same for us. Jesus does not exempt us from storms. In fact, he says this. He promises that there will be suffering and storms. John chapter 16, he says that you will have suffering in this world. But be courageous because I have conquered the world. And y'all think about the life of the Apostle Paul. In his call to apostolic ministry, Jesus said in Acts 9, I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. And on your own time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul records his resume of suffering for Christ. You see, Jesus does not promise us a life of ease and comfort. As we follow him, we will encounter storms. What we also learn from this passage is that Jesus is with us in the storm. You see, he was in the boat with his disciples, and he is also with us in the storm. He has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, we who are in Christ, we are never alone. He is with us in the storm. And so we can come before him. And beloved, if you're in the storm, know that you are not alone. Jesus is with you, but also, I would encourage you to make it known to other church members so that we can be in this storm with you. You see, what we see in verse 38, the disciples together woke him up and said to him, you see, they woke Jesus up together. So we who are in the storm, may we be in the storm together with other members of the church, and may we go to Jesus in prayer together, just as the disciples went to Jesus together to wake him up. And we also see that Jesus is sovereign over nature. He calmed the storm by speaking. And so in the first section, we see that Jesus is sovereign over nature, but now let's see that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Look at verse 40. It says, Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, after Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea, he turned to rebuke his disciples. Now this rebuke was given in the form of two questions. He asked them, Why are you afraid? The word afraid is getting at being in utter distress, being extremely afraid. You see, the disciples, they were, they were cowardly. But then Jesus asked the second question. He said, do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith, which was demonstrated through their terror and being frantic. And what he's getting at in this question what he's getting at in their lack of faith is a lack of faith in God's saving power that is present and demonstrated through Jesus. You see, though the disciples were on the inside, 
and were given access in knowing the secret of the kingdom of God, they still didn't know fully who Jesus is. You see, as terrifying as the storm was, they failed to understand who Jesus is and the authority that he has over the storm. Well, beloved, what about us? What about us who are in Christ, who have placed our faith in Jesus? When the storm comes, where is our faith? How do we respond? Are we cowardly? Are we terrified, plagued with fear? Are we toiling anxiously, trying to control the situation? Or are we trusting Jesus, who has authority over the storm? You see, when the storm comes, do we have faith in Jesus? Now, let's talk about faith in Jesus real quick. Faith in Jesus does not mean that we're always happy in the midst of the storm. It doesn't mean that we never have difficult days or that we repetitively think only positive thoughts and only want good vibes. That is not what faith in Jesus means in the storm. But rather, faith in Jesus is trusting in him and resting in him and hoping in him in the midst of the storm. It's remembering his promises and looking to him and hoping in him. It's resting in him because we know that he is in control. It's knowing that since by faith he has saved us from our sin and God's judgment, that he can save us from the storm. It's trusting Jesus with our lives, knowing that whatever happens, we will not be put to shame for hoping in him, because everyone who hopes in him will not be put to shame. Now, I want to be very clear. Just because one has faith in Jesus, that doesn't mean that he will calm the storms in our lives. See, he is not obligated to do so, nor does he promise that he will. And even though he doesn't promise that he will, we can still trust him. The thing is, we should pray. We should pray for his help and and for his deliverance. No matter how long we're in the storm, we should be reminded that he will be with us in it. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us by his grace to endure. And the thing is, beloved, he will deliver us but he determines how deliverance will come. He'll either deliver us from the storm in this life, and if he does, we should praise him. Or he'll deliver us through the storm, fully and finally, where we die and get to be with Christ. Either way, he chooses. And either way, may we trust him. Look at verse 41. And it says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, the disciples, they went from one fear to a much greater fear. You see, they feared the storm, but afterwards they feared Jesus. You see, the fear of Jesus far surpassed their fear of the storm. They were terrified. They were trembling. It's the kind of fear that consumes a person when they're in the presence of supernatural power. You see, they thought that the storm was powerful, but now they know that Jesus is far more powerful. And they're in awe and afraid at the very same time. 
Why? Because Jesus' identity was disclosed to him, to them. They asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, they've never seen anything like this before because nothing like this has ever happened before. You see, they, 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 they have a far, he's far greater than what they could have imagined. And the thing is, their question is strikingly similar to the question that the crowd asked about Jesus in chapter 1, verse 27. You see, after witnessing Jesus' teaching and casting out demons, the crowd asked, who then is this? This new teaching with authority and casting out demons. Well, now the disciples, they're asking, who then is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Who then is this? Such question is a rhetorical one that invites one to respond with faith in Jesus. Who is he? Well, let me tell you who he is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, and he is the one who we must fear and trust and worship. If you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, this is Jesus. He is God. He has authority over nature and the power to save sinners. He is mighty to save. And I would implore you this very day to turn from your rebellion and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. For he is the only Savior who can save sinners from the storm of God's judgment that you and I deserve because we have rebelled against him. That's exactly what he did when he died on the cross for sin and resurrected from the grave. And he forgives all who trust in him. And so I would implore you, trust him, fear him, obey him, believe the gospel, and be saved. For this very one who is terrifyingly great is also merciful and kind. And he saves to the uttermost. In fact, he came into this world to save sinners. And so trust in him this day. Believe in him this day. May he become your savior this day by faith. Do not remain in your unbelief. Because this one who is terrifyingly great is the savior today and he will come back and he will be the judge. And as terrifying as he is, as you see, who then is this? As the disciples trembled in fear, friends, I will tell you, those on that day who don't know him, they tremble and ask for the mountains to fall on him. It'll be a terrifying day. But this day can be a day of mercy. It can be a day of salvation. And so trust in him and be saved. And beloved, we who are in Christ... May we see that Jesus is sovereign and trustworthy, that he is the Son of God, and that we can trust him to save, if, if we can trust him to save us from our sins, then we can certainly trust him while we're in the storm, because he is greater than the storm. And so may we trust him. And as we saw in the passage, just as Jesus brought about a great calm on the sea, well, he will one day bring about a great calm from all storms. And as the lyrics to our final hymn says, on that day, it says that we will cross that great horizon 
clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, we shall hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And so, beloved, may we trust him in the storm as we long for that day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your kindness, your mercy, your grace towards us in Christ, how you sent him to save us from our sins, and how he is the sure and steady anchor of our souls, how he sustains us in the midst of the storm. And one day, he will calm all storms. Oh God, may we hold fast to him, trusting in him and looking to him, remembering his faithfulness, and know that he will remain faithful all the way to the day where we will see him face to face. Lord, may we long for that day to come where our faith becomes sight, where storms and suffering will be no more, and we'll be in your benevolent presence for all of eternity. Now we pray for your son to come soon, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. In light of the sermon, our final hymn, let's stand to sing about how Christ is the sure and steady anchor of our souls. Please stand.